We're here to ignite your fire by highlighting the success and innovation of other movement professionals. This is the PT on Fire podcast. PT on Fire Nation, welcome. Today we have a very special guest. We're super honored to have Lenny Parasino uh, joining us today. Uh, Lenny is a, a great example of somebody who is on fire in the field of movement science. Uh, Lenny is a soft tissue therapist and fellow of Applied Functional Science through the Gray Institute. Uh, Lenny practices out in the, uh, the beautiful state of California. He's, Lenny is also an author and lecturer, and Lenny travels around the world uh, teaching a course I believe it's called Functional Soft Tissue Transformation. Is that correct, Lenny? Correct. Awesome. And then, yeah, so Lenny, we were, were really excited to have Lenny today because he's such an innovative personality and somebody who's always wanting to learn more. And uh, so, Lenny, we're just super happy to have you on today. Thank you. I'm honored. And so, just kind of diving in to start here, Lenny, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. How did you get your start? Um, just a little background so we know where you're coming from. Well, really quick, um, I'm 48 years of age now, and I started in college studying nutritional sciences, but always was an active individual, and I participated in quite a few sports, and like most of us, um, I received quite a few injuries, and it at one point in my life really inhibited my ability to move. I used to be uh, actually race bicycle motocross and had quite a few injuries and I was lucky enough as a boy at a very young age to have a stepfather that taught me how to think critically. He put me in a chess club at age 10 and wanted to teach me trigonometry when I was about 12. So we didn't get along too well. <laughs> but in retrospect, as an adult now looking back, it really formulated the ability for me to think on my own. And that's something that I hope to pass on to my children. I love the quote by Leonardo da Vinci, those who conduct an argument by appealing to authority are not using their intelligence, they're using their memory. And I remember as a boy, I was always taught to think for myself and not just memorize things. And so going through college was a bit tough because I had questions and, you know, I'm immature too, I'm a young boy. And I continued on and just took various classes after college, all the way to learning more and more about biomechanics uh, in the fast track. I ended up taking on a position at the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And during that tenure, we actually had the opportunity to see a lot of different seminars at our facility. And we also had a lot of clients coming in. So we spent half the day in the clinic working with pro athletes. I remember Shaquille O'Neal coming in. But then we had like an 80-year-old person come in. And our job was to apply the curriculum that we were putting together. This was when Rodney Korn was there, Dr. Michael Clark, and a few others, the primary team, Tyler Wallace and a few others. The point is we developed a curriculum and... Uh, we taught that all over, but I had that beautiful blend between being in the clinic and then also learning, looking at literature, putting it together to share with others. And that's how I stumbled upon, interestingly, Gary Gray, because he was really looked at 
as the leader in movement. She could see things globally, could link the local to the global, and by far he was like the pioneer. And after my time with NESM, I was out on my own. I had my own place. The company was actually technically sold. A lot of people don't realize that, but it was sold and things didn't work out. We all left, all of us. And I just went into private practice and started working with a couple of physical therapists and a bunch of trainers. And then I was able to go out because I had the time and study whatever I wanted. And that's what really, I think, allowed me to have this eclectic approach because I studied everything and I continued to do so. But that's how I met Gary Gray and then became part of the Gray Institute, where I am today. Thanks, Lenny. That's awesome. You said, you know, a lot of good things there. Um, one thing that, you know, always that sticks with me is, is how, you know, your continuing commitment to learn. And I think, you know, us, you know, physical therapists and movement professionals coming out of school, you know, we've been in school so long that we get out and we're like, whew, man, we're, we're done. You know, we're done with school. But the problem is, the the saw starts to slowly get more dull, right? And that's where that's where I think you take, you've taken sides that you're saying, hey, I'm gonna make the I'm gonna take the effort here to continue learning, and you, you're probably finding that as the more you continue to learn, the sharper your saw gets and the easier it gets to learn. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, I was just at a dissection class, and if people listening to this have never done a fresh tissue dissection where you're not dealing with chemicals, there's no formaldehyde, you're dealing with fresh tissue. These bodies are relatively, you know, just deceased. We call them models. And you can do this type of work. A lot of people are like, is that available? And I'm like, yeah, you go to Laboratories of Anatomical Enlightenment in Arizona. And you can go and do your own dissection. So you're not, not like schools, because I did five of them throughout my schooling, but I'm listening to a professor. I'm going in with an intent that I have to pass a test. Here, you go in as a physical therapist, and you're able to do your own project. And the point I'm making is when you go through an experience like that, I mean, you're eating humble pie every day. And I'll tell you, I come back now to the books, and I realize that the books are really more of an interpretation of a person's observation. And that's what really changed my outlook on everything. And I said to myself, every year or at least once every two years, I have to go do my own dissection. Now, what's about to happen is I believe a big change in soft tissue therapy. And I hope more physical therapists get involved in this. That's what I was about to say with Thomas Myers. We just had a class in Arizona with him. We were doing a dissection. And he said, I mean, he presented the research. If you're still thinking the way you were thinking two years ago, you're behind. Wow. So much has changed with respect to anatomy. You know, we look at our charts and we're like, yeah, I'm on the QL. I can't tell you how many times someone tells me they're on my QL and I'm prone. Well, you're not on the QL if I'm prone. Very few people realize when we have the epidermis, we have the dermis, we have the skin ligaments, we have neurovascular structures before we even get to the superficial fascia. Never mind the deep fascia, never mind the muscle, which is deeper to all that. So there's so much for us to learn. It should excite all of us that there's more hope for those out there that are not getting to where they want to go functionally. That's awesome, Lenny. That that would be a, an amazing opportunity to do that. And I'm I'm sure it's it's crazy to see the difference between a, the tissue which hasn't been touched by any chemicals versus the 
the, the tissue that you get in PT school where the cadavers have been kind of prepared for you and, and everything like that. That's, that sounds amazing. And so, so going into kind of your thought process, would you say that doing the things like that, putting in the time and, and going to those labs, is that what has formed and made it easier for you to kind of not memorize techniques, as you said, but, but when you're doing your soft tissue work and when you're out there working with clients and patients, developing this kind of the, the confidence and okay my the principles of I know exactly what tissue is here I know my anatomy now I can develop a strategy to, to then go after that versus memorizing the specific technique to get after a QL like you said yeah well if I understand your question correctly you know I'll answer it this way I used to have a clinic I'm, I'm more near the, near the beach right now, Hermosa Beach. I used to be inland in Pasadena, and we used to have a clinic next to the Jet Propulsion Lab. So we actually worked with real rocket scientists from NASA. And I remember asking a physicist this question, how do you guys formulate the strategy to put something in space, the unknown? And he said, great question. We have a group of people that agree on unifying principles. And once you have unifying principles, principles that unify all of us, not an opinion, but unifying principles, still subjected to human interpretation, mind you, but solid, unifying principles, you're able then to develop strategies. And that really changed me in my 30s. Because I said to myself, if I'm going to help people when they come in, I need to have a system. Otherwise, information without a system is just chaos. And then I go to a course, let's say it's on the foot and ankle on Sunday, and on Monday, everybody has a foot and ankle problem. And then I go to my shoulder course, and then on Monday, everyone has a shoulder problem. You get my point. Right. So it's kind of an interesting saying, and that is you can only see what your brain knows. But then I say... Don't allow what your brain knows to inhibit what you're actually seeing. And so what I personally did is I just built a system. I said, what unifying principles am I going to anchor to to then formulate fundamentals of practice? And so I anchor to energy and adaptation because they're unifying principles. So I need to understand the energy of the individual coming into me. Now, this kind of leads me to something that... I think I've matured with over time. You guys have probably heard the golden rule. Do to others the way you want done to you. Yep. And someone came across that's been practicing a long time, one of my mentors, he's in his 70s, and he said, you need to learn the platinum rule. And I said, what's the platinum rule? Do to others the way they want done to them. And that completely changed my outlook and practice. Because... The more I started to learn, the more I wanted to apply with this eager, passionate attitude. But I was doing what was, in a sense, selfish. Mm. So if I come out of school and I'm, you know, the doctor of physical therapy or the structural integrator that supposedly knows everything, I apply what I know, not necessarily what the person needs. And that's where the mental state comes into play. We have to ask ourselves, why is the person in front of us? And once I can get an understanding of why they're here to see me, I can then anchor to unifying principles and literally develop the strategy as the session continues. There are no protocols. It's designed right then and there. 
So hopefully that answers your question there. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So so do you do you feel like you know you you just named two of your anchoring principles? Do you feel like the blending of the soft tissue knowledge and functional movement, you know, as we start to talk about kind of the Gray Institute and applied functional science. Now, those are definitely some anchoring principles, too, that are influencing what you're doing with the person or what you're doing for the person. Right. Right. Well, well, here's, here's the way I look at it. I don't look at it as separate techniques. I look at what we do for a living. Forget our backgrounds, because there's going to be a lot of different people listening to your podcast. Right. We all basically do the same thing. We load manage people, right? Right. So when you get into what a lot of people are privy to today, the pain science, one of the things we can do in a, you know, in a sense, a treatment to help decrease pain is to increase load tolerance. And so think about it. Injury is a disruption of unity. It occurs because the load exceeds the individual's threshold mm-hmm. or the tissue's resilience. Okay, a physicist would say, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So if you and I had to break a pen, we have to figure out a load greater than the pen's tensile ability. So therefore, we know it's load relative. So what we have to do, and this is one of my fundamentals of treatment, is we have to figure out the person's threshold. Sometimes when I put a person on a table, I'm decreasing the gravitational compressive loads. I'm putting a force input to understand the sensitivity levels. It's a load. So I don't look at it like rolfing or structural integration or ART or MET or uh, grasping. These are all load inputs. And what I have to figure out is where their threshold is and what am I going to do on a load management scale. And that's what makes our courses very different. And I'm trying to get involved more with structural integrators because they're great with their hands, they're great with their anatomy, but then you must leave the session with something for the person to do on their own to continue the load management. That's a huge problem, I think, in therapy in general. We need to teach and educate patients and clients how to load their system. And if we don't, we fall into what I call the competition and adaptation. In other words, you could have a great session and be the greatest therapist in the world for one hour, half hour, however long your sessions are. But then they're going to go back into an environment that's counterproductive to what you just did. What's interesting is some of the scientists right now are calling it actively sedentary. So the biology is active, but our environment is sedentary. So that leads me to the competition and adaptation. You see, so I have to figure out the threshold, where their energy is in totality, and then we have to give them the appropriate loads for optimum adaptation. And that follows improving functionality. It follows a prescription for decreasing sensation in our pain because, again, we're improving load tolerance. So to kind of recap, I don't really separate the movement out on the floor and the load inputs on the table. It's a continuum of load is what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. This might be a – I just came up with a question that's kind of winging it here, but this might be one that you may or may not want to answer, and it might be too complicated to answer, but can you can you give us a little insight into what your – you just met somebody. What, what's your assessment like? Are you going from an upright mobility, stability, three planes of motion, 3D maps type of situation to a table? You know, what, is there a routine that you have, or does that, is, that a hard, is that a hard answer there? No, that's an easy question. That's what I do all day. 
Um, and that's it's a funny question in, in my my mind. I think it's your best question for anybody that you talk to because one of my frustrations is I'll go to a class and the guy's super smart, but it's like reciting out of a textbook. I want to know, if I'm a therapist, I want to learn applicable information. So I think it's a great question. So I'll give you a scenario this morning. I had a mom who's actually a therapist. Her son is in Kung Fu, and he seems to have strained his rectus abdominis kicking. He's 13. Now, what I'll say to you in general speak is I look at the adolescent different than the adult, different than the elderly. And this is based on biochemical reaction of how we heal. We're going to heal much quicker as a kid than an adult, and an adult much quicker than the elderly. So, again, he's 13. The first step I always do is I have people email me before they come in. I have them fill out a whole bunch of forms. Then I will ask them questions off of those forms before they step foot into my office. I need to know this. What are the individual demands? What demands are they partaking in at this point in their life? Because it gives me a foundation of how they're dealing with energy and adaptation. You know, it always amazes me on the side tangent here. Somebody that doesn't practice running and then they go out and run five miles, which is an arbitrary number, and they wonder why their calves are sore, their Achilles tendon sore. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I need to know. I can't just arbitrarily pick a movement assessment out of a book. That's not fair to the individual. Remember the platinum rule. I have to take what they're already doing, and then I have to stress test it. So after that part of the assessment, which we'll call subjective, I always do active tension tests. So what I do is I break down the area. So we look at joints as spaces. That's what they are. Think of it like a dry riverbed. There's no such thing as bone on bone. We float in the tension network. But joints are spaces for a purpose. They're meant for movement. And it's real important to realize the action of soft tissues is a reaction to the joint's movement. So what I'm going to do is use that mentality to do an active tension test. Once I have an understanding of their threshold, what they can produce, and I follow a load continuum, that is isometric, isotonic, to elastic recoil, I can test where they're at. Then I can do passive tension tests, and then I put together a load management strategy. So in recap, it's individual demand, active tension tests, because it's authentic to them, passive tension tests, then I load manage it from there. That's I love a, it. That's great. So if that's you want me to give you exact, this boy came in. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. And yeah. what I did was, um, I asked him a bunch of questions, and he said when he was kicking, he felt it right by the pubic synthesis. So what I did is I put him in a kneeling position out in free space, and he says, I feel it more on my right side. So what I did is I put him in a right stride, so his right leg is forward, his left leg was bent. I wanted to produce more tension along the left side. So think of yourself in a kneeling position. Some people would call this a hip stretch, just for clarity's sake here. I had him activate his knee into an Eric's pad or a soft cushion pad to see if he could handle force generation up his left thigh into his abdomen. Then I had him cross his arms and do a crunch while he was activating that tension. Then I had him go into extension, lateral flexion, and rotation, all while generating tension. So it's not a passive stretch. 
he gets into the stretch, and then I have him activate his hip complex so his knee pushes into the pad. Mm-hmm. Then I switch sides. He actually did really, really well until I got his arms up overhead. Mm-hmm. Once I got his arms up overhead, and I started to migrate him backwards into extension, he really felt it. And I looked at his mom, and I said, this is why he probably shouldn't do Kung Fu tonight. Because when you move globally, your body will follow the path of least resistance. It's always going to pick up on what it can do. But if you get caught at an angle and the tissue can't handle it, and right now it's showing me it can't, you run the risk of further injury. So one of the big concepts I taught the mom and the son today is this. There is a huge difference between healing and feeling. This is a huge mistake that we make. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's healed. A lot of things can make you feel good, like over-icing, ibuprofen, a lot of things, a good mindset. And so what I did is I tension test it, and then we build a strategy from there. So what we did was we built an isometric strategy along angulations that were successful. And in this case, what I do is I call it the superficial meshing. So instead of going in and putting mesh in the abdomen, which is a whole story in itself we could do a separate podcast on because I see that being a disaster, yeah. is I will put rock across his abdomen. So I'll put rock tape across his abdomen. It works really well to attenuate force. Now, the exact mechanism of what it does, uh, we could have a debate on that. Who knows? But I've seen success clinically, anecdotally, with that type of strategy. So I have him doing the isometric contractions, and then he understands the zone at which we're trying to sneak into, but we'll call it surround the dragon. What I want him to do is to load manage all the successful pathways, and then we'll progress him along the load management scale. We'll start doing a little bit more isotonic. We'll start to do a little bit more elastic recoil. So what I did is I videotaped all that on his phone. He's 13 years old. He has an iPhone. It worked perfectly. And then once he's successful with that, we'll start to progress him. That's genius. I yeah. love it. That's awesome. And I like how you, you basically take it because we, you, I'm sure you get that a lot. We get that a lot of athletes wanting to return quickly and you kind of, you let the movement do the talking versus you telling them they're not ready. You let them go through a specific movement uh, example and, and let the movement do the talking. And also I, I appreciate the application of the, the clinical application of the platinum rule. I mean, you were, you were doing unto him specifically what he needed. You know, it's not, it wasn't a protocol. It was what you, you designed for him based on his subjective comments, and it was on the fly. So that was a great application of the platinum rule. Right. I mean, you said something I think important is let, let the movement do the talking. And, you know, you can see it in the client's eyes, and you saw it in the mom's eyes. Bingo. That's the area. That's what you need to be objective with. I'm a big fan of MRIs and CAT scans and x-rays, but I think you have to be very, very careful with this is it. This is why you're in pain. This is exactly the injury. I mean, you guys have seen the research on this. Mm -hmm. The research is vast when it comes to this is the structure, and I believe that we're always struggling with a puzzle. Structure feeds function and function feeds structure. We have to delineate out, is it really the structure driving the dysfunction? Or is it something that we're seeing more dynamically? Because remember, an MRI is static. You know, you're, you're still, it's a picture. It's kind of like I'm a surfer here in California, and if you were the best surf coach in the world and I sent you pictures of me surfing, how well could you coach me? You'd have to go out in the water with me. 
Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have as therapists, we have this unique opportunity to do things like this and to be very objective and then utilize the scans and all the information that we can grab onto as part of the puzzle, but not the whole thing. On that topic, I just had two patients yesterday who had MRIs. One had a disc herniation and his symptoms were on the other side. Surgeon was trying to convince him that he still needed to do surgery, which is ridiculous. And then I had a young athlete, soccer player, who surgeon was convinced he had a meniscus tear and, and, and it came back uh, unremarkable. Anyways, um, I wanted to give you a, a shout out. One of my favorite articles you've ever written was actually on that topic, structure, structure versus function. And I, and I know you know which one I'm talking about, the one that you guys have posted yep. on the Grand Institute. Uh-huh. I love the article. Um, I, I share it all the time. One of the things we do on this podcast is we like to give away a freebie to people, you know, some sort of information they can continue to learn. Um, that would be a perfect freebie if you're okay with it, if we could uh, attach this to the podcast so people can read that article. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Awesome. In fact, I've shared that with, with uh, several DOs in our town, and, and uh, man, they love it. It's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great article. Lenny, uh, so I appreciate all this amazing information you've, you've given us. This has been a great conversation. I know it's, it's feel, I'm, I'm feeling great by it, and I hope listeners get a lot out of it, too. And, and as part of the podcast, we have three questions that we like to ask everybody. Uh, I hope you're right. for that. So this is the, so the first of the three is what has been your biggest failure, and more importantly, what did you learn from it? I would say not following the platinum rule. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from it was it is very objective. <clears throat> I have a cash-based practice, and it's very different than insurance-based. And I always say to colleagues, I'll say, if you're really getting results and people are improving function, because that's really what they want. I know they come in and say, I'd love for you to help me with my back pain. But imagine if you didn't have back pain, what would you do? Well, I'd go surfing. So really, it's function. Mm-hmm. If you're really on the right track, go cash pay. Because people will not come back to you, pull money out of their pocket, unless they're getting results. So it's kind of forced me to become better and better so I can buy a pair of shoes for my children. My ultimate drive is not money. I love what I do, and I live a balanced life. But we all still have to make a living. And as soon as I started with the platinum rule, really listening to a person, it completely changed everything. So I'd say my biggest failure was years and years of the golden rule, not the platinum rule. Um, There's something that we learned, too, in martial arts, and that's fail forward. So I don't look at it as really failure as much as an opportunity. And in jiu-jitsu, that's what happens, right? You're constantly looking for a strategy to get out of a situation, and oftentimes it fails. It's a very humbling class. And you're trapped, and you're trying to do a submission, and you're in the wrong position. But this failure is an opportunity to seek out another strategy, and that's why it becomes more lifelong. So I can't tell you how many times I've plotted technique and therapy, and it failed. But immediately, I didn't mourn the failure. I immediately said, I need to learn more myself. Right. Point is, we're going to learn way more from all the things that are uncomfortable to us than the things that are comfortable. And I'll tell you, if you follow the platinum rule, 
it's uncomfortable because people are going to present a lot of different things. Oh man, I, I appreciate you talking about the platinum rule. That's huge. I I, I know myself. I, I took a lot from that. And I, there's so many implications to that. And, you know, it, it drives a lot of other characteristics that we need to have, like as far as empathy and being mindful and aware. Those characteristics are required. I you know to even follow the platinum rule, and that it just that's awesome. I'm I'm really glad you spoke about that here, and and you kind of talked about something with the first question that's going to feed this next question. Um, you talked about living a balanced life and that kind of is number two how are you currently feeding your body your mind and your spirit knowing that you are busy it's easy to kind of get burned out how do you how are you feeding yourself yeah that's a good question um first of all i i really don't separate them uh i know we do to converse and talk and study you know this book is more behavioral sciences this book is a little bit more biomechanics this book's a little more biochemical but in reality, I just always say it's all, right? So my goal is always to love what I do. So here's what I do with my two children. I started a journal with them at age five and six. And I said, love is a unity where time doesn't matter. And they go, okay, I understand that. I go, I want you to draw everything out you love. And then every six months or so, I'll pull the journal out, and I'll say, go ahead and draw the things you love to do. Do you know what I'm doing for them? I'm setting up their college curriculum. In other words, I want them to live a life more of the things they love to do. And if love can be defined in this sense as a unity, I just live my life. And the way I look at it is if I do more things I love, and I have clients do this. I say, just take time. Draw out on a piece of paper all the things you love. You love spending time with your family. You love going on a hike. And then here comes the reality. How much time in your life do you spend doing that? And it can be really heart-wrenching to go, oh my God, I don't do enough of that. And that's a very out-of-balance life. So what I do is I spend more time doing the things I love to do, and I just live life. I call that the ebb and flow so that when stuff happens, you know, the highs and lows, somebody passes away, or I'm really super busy because I moved my office and I moved my home, then I can deal with it. It's kind of like homeostasis, which is really like homeodynamics, right? If I have a healthy body and I'm pretty multidimensionally, tensionally able, then when I reach awkwardly in my car, it's not going to blow my back out, mm -hmm. right? But if I only ride a bicycle and I only walk in the sagittal plane, as soon as I hit the transverse plane, I'm in trouble. Right. So that's the way I live my life. That's just me. I think sometimes we do get caught in a rut where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, I, I really understand what you're saying. I love all these things, and I'm not doing any of them. And that, I think it just starts to eat on you. So that's how I would answer the question. I love it. It's perfect. And the last one here, what are you looking forward to in the next five years? Uh, just learning more, living life, uh, just playing. Uh, I think there's so much to learn right now. And if there's one thing I would highly encourage everyone to do is to purchase these three books with a very open mind because this is where we believe anatomy and movement I think will really start to expand. 
being challenged right now is not that we need to move, but it's what is moving. Like, what really is moving in the body? So the number one book we all have to read, and it's a great read, it comes with a video, is The Architecture of Human Living Tissue by Dr. Gerber Tavella. He was the one, he's a surgeon, who took an endoscope and went inside the living to help him with surgical procedures. And then he magnified it and goes, whoa, what's all this? Well, that stuff's really important. And now it's being heavily talked about. So the number one book, it's out now. I've seen his work for quite some time, but he finally was able to put it together in a book. It's amazing. You've got to read it. And then the other one is The Functional Atlas of the Human Fascial System by Stecco. These are all orthopedic specialists. And then a lot of your readers may have already read, it's a great book, Therapeutic Neuroscience Education, Teaching Patients About Pain. And the last one I'll say is Biotensegrity by Graham Scar biotensegrity by Graham Scar, where there's a few chapters that might not be so interesting because it has more to do with history, but then there's some very applicable, he's an osteopath, some applicable chapters on how to practice with this information. Very good. So they're really answering a lot of uh, questions. So I answer your question, what am I looking forward to in the next five years with these references because they're groundbreaking in, in many sense, especially the first one I mentioned. And I, I'm really excited to see now the techniques that are coming out. You know, I have to look back at my earlier days at the NASM. People thought we were crazy when we were rolling around on foam rolls. Now you can buy a foam roll at 7-Eleven. I'm joking. Maybe Target. You know, they're everywhere, and everybody's got their own little gadget now to roll on your tissues. And I'm not really talking the pros and cons to all that, but the point is you see a lot of manufacturers coming out with products because information is out there. So it will be interesting in the next five years to see what happens in physical therapy. And with that said, let me ask you guys the question. How many hours of soft tissue manipulation did you get in your schooling? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, you know, <clears throat> I would say, would you, would you count, uh, you know, we, we had, we had, basically the osteopathic manual therapy, which is joint mobilizations, right, of the spine and the extremities. But but that focus there is really about the joint movements and the joint glides and the bone movements, real and relative, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so the focus on the soft tissue, I would have to admit, is not not really the emphasis. It's secondary. I I remember for me, and it was thrown into a two-week kind of module in one of our patient care classes, and uh, that was kind of the, the extent of what I remember. So, not not a whole lot of not a whole lot there. You know, and even in even in uh, even in the Gray Institute, you know, going through going through the Fellowship of Applied Functional Science. I mean, it the emphasis is strong, but the amount of time that you get to actually utilize that when you're learning is limited because of the distance. You know, and you're not right. so, not with a group of people. Right. So here's something interesting. If I was to say one thing you'll walk away with reading the books that I reference is this. When you look at soft tissues and define them and look at a human body, we're really comprised of a continuum of soft matter, comprising tissue variations, all designed around natural principles of biological structure, like energy and how we adapt. So connective tissues, nerves, arteries, bones, joint capsules, etc., are not 
This has been proven now, not separate structures and layers. They're actually specialties existing on a continuum. And if you go into the cadaver lab and someone hands you a scalpel and says, I want you to go find X, Y, and Z, what you find is you have to pull out your net or book to get the geography down to go find the density that we then call this ligament. And if you go on YouTube and look at Vanderwall's work, who's an interesting, he has a very interesting background. He's got like two or three PhDs, one in embryology, and he's a doctor. I mean, it's amazing, this guy. He challenged that. A lot of us have been treating these parts based on human interpretation, but not the reality. So here's a second question for you guys. How many physical therapists are dealing with soft tissue injuries? All of them. That's what people have. Right, right, right. We just we call it these names, right? But really, it's a continuum with varying densities. And then when we myopically pull out this one structure, we have all these rules and regulations around it. And that's what I hope changes in the future. You know, we all start to work more as a whole community of people and not a bunch of separate entities because that's where patients get confused. They're like, I have this one problem. Right. Remember the platinum rule? Yeah. But everyone's got completely different strategies and strong opinions. I always say to them, well, everybody's right. It's a matter of pulling it all together. Absolutely. That, that's, that's, uh, to be honest, that's why the applied functional science to me makes so much sense because you're looking at the global motions, not right. the part. You know, you, and then you, can, then you can dig deeper, but the global motions are the key. Okay, so Lenny, tell us how people can find you. How do they find you? What's the best way? Um, when's your next course? Anything like that you want to throw out there? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, the Great Institute, the greatinstitute.com, um, we'll be posting our soft tissue courses that will happen later in 2016. They'll be posted um, hopefully by April 1st. They have a new website, and they'll be under Functional Soft Tissue Transformation. We do a couple courses out here at the beach. It's a real fun place to come travel. But we also do courses in people's clinics. So if you have, you know, eight to ten people and you'd like to host a course, we will come to you. And oftentimes that's the case because it's a lot easier than sending everybody out to California. Sure. Um, no, again, those will be posted on the Grain Institute website. My personal Facebook has a lot of education. I don't do any advertising. It's all education. And that Facebook is functional therapy. And I've posted for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. Um, sometimes I'll have a client come in and we'll do something. I'll think, oh, that'd be kind of cool to share that. Or articles that I run across, once in a while I'm on Twitter just forwarding things over and it's at FXN Therapy. So at FXN Therapy. And then my website is softtissuetherapyca.com. So it's soft tissue, would be two T's, so the two words, softtissuetherapyca for California.com. Awesome. And then that's how you can get a hold of me. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. And like I said uh, to the audience here, we're going to be throwing out a, a nice article written by Lenny called Structure Versus Function. You can get that by going to our website, ptofire.com. And again, Lenny, thanks so much. Uh, super special to have you. And I hope we get to talk soon. Thank you very much. All right, man. Get outside and enjoy that sunshine. Okay, great. Uh, see you, Lenny. Bye. See you, Lenny. Thank you.